This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. and welcome to Vet Candy's podcast in other news, a podcast to expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Jen and Dr. Jason Chatfield. If you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, why not? Please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. You can also reach us if you just want to spout off or tell us how awesome I am at Jen at MyVetCandy.com. Or Jason at MyVetCandy.com for all of you serious listeners that really have some concerns or questions. Go ahead and email me. They'll be dealt with. Our topic today is African swine fever. In other news, African swine fever, it's an issue. Listen, I hope we have someone on that can tell us all about it because I don't have any idea what this is. I have no idea. I'm going to learn like normal a whole lot of stuff this morning, and I'm very excited about it. Jen, I, I know I know you love pigs, but come on, what's going on here? I do love pigs, and so I'm incredibly excited for our guest today. And as all of our news hounds in the Candyverse know, I also love infectious diseases. Um, and this is this is a new one for most people. So let's get right to it because, as uh, Dr. Jason indicated, we are not the brains um, today. We have with us our very special guests. We have Dr. Doug Gladu and Dr. Manuel Burka. Hey guys. Hey, how are you? Hello. Yes, and so they're going to talk with us about African swine fever, and the reason that they are going to be able to geek out with us is because they work at at that mystical place. Jason, do you remember that mystical place from when we were in school? Disneyland? uh, No, Jason, Disneyland. No, no, it's this mystical island. I think it's like off the coast of New York, maybe. Uh, I know. Are you trying to get me to say it? Of course, I know. Yeah, say it. Uh, are we talking about Plum Island? Is that what we're talking about? That's right. People. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yes, kind of set me up for failure. I knocked it out of the park. That's right. These guys work on Plum Island. So, um, can you guys confirm you do work on Plum Island? It exists. We do work on Plum Island. Okay. No place. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And you work with African swine fever. That's correct. Okay. I so, hope I hope so because that's what my notes say. So I hope we work with African swine fever. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know what we're talking about today. That's right. So, uh, so, so anyway, so we're going to start with some basic stuff because I know that um, you guys, Doug and Manuel, you think everyone knows all about African swine fever, right? You think everyone's heard of it. The world is, realizes what's going on, but a little dark secret. Yeah. A lot of people have no idea, which is a problem. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What, what, what was that? Was that a yes? Was that a no? Or is it, it's a problem, right? No, no one knows no. about it. There are, there, I, I think that there are many people in the world right now that knows about Africa. There are, but there are many more who don't. And that's why we wanted, we're so excited to have you guys on today. So can you tell us a little bit about African swine fever? I mean, it says swine and African in it. But like what species can get African swine fever? What is it? African swine fever is, is a virus, so it's caused by a virus. It's a very large virus that has over 150 genes. It's a DNA virus. It's uh, kind of different than a lot of other viruses in the world. It infects wild and domestic pigs. Different strains of the virus have different 
virulence. Right now, probably why African swine fever is a problem where a lot of people know about it is it's causing a, a major outbreak in um, Asia. Um, it was introduced into China last year. China is one of the largest pro- or is the largest producer of pigs. And, Wait, so, uh, current- so China has the largest pig population, right? right? So, Dr. Jason, do you know where the U.S. falls in rankings for our pig population? I do. Where? Oh, you're not supposed to ask me that. <laughs> not, <laughs> not first. I'm faith that I do, and it we're not first. I, I thought it was first. Uh, <laughs> but maybe, first. maybe it's third. Are we third? Yes! Oh, People- sweet. Can I get some swag? Can you see me some swag? <laughs> We're not sending you any swag. No, I no. Swag. but okay. So, so it is. It is of concern to us because it's hit the biggest pig population in the world in China, and it's moving. Right? It's not. It's not staying in China. No, it's actually uh, affected almost all of the Asian countries in Southeast Asia right now, which combined, you know, is the largest area for domestic pigs. Wow. I'll give you an idea. Just in China alone, there's over 700 million pigs a year. What? It's not a, a small. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> what are you the talking Chinese, about? Seven hundred million pigs. Yeah, the Chinese uh, eat a lot of pork. It's part yeah, of their really? culture. It um, is not the other white meat in China, is it? It's the white meat. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's mm. a lot of pigs, and in fact, I thought I read somewhere that. 25% of the Chinese pig population maybe has been affected by African swine fever. Is that right-ish? Well, that would depend probably from the source that you use for information. But yeah, yep, they say they say so. The yeah. internet. The, the problem, this, yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> like, listen, I'm, I'm, you, the other problem is that the disease went also west and uh, is uh, right now in Eastern Europe, and uh, it's very close to the more important center of uh, pig production in Europe right now. So, uh, um, this okay, is it is, it is, and, and we joke on our podcast, but African swine fever is—it's oh. um, categorized, right? It's got a specific ranking. What, what do you guys call it? It's a, a select agent. Yeah, African swine fever in the U.S. is considered a select agent. Um, so. You need uh, a lot of permits and a lot of uh, uh, oversight to even be able to work on it. That's why in the U.S., the only places that can work on African swine fever is Plum Island and uh, BRI in Kansas. Does that mean it's like super dangerous? Is that what that means? Select agent means super duper dangerous. We don't want it to get out. Super dangerous to the uh, pig population. Right, right. Ah, good point. So it does not affect humans, but it does does affect these pigs badly. Right. Okay. So you guys are working with African swine fever. And so like, can we let the cat out of the bag? Your claim to fame right now. These guys are groundbreaking, just so you guys know, groundbreaking. And right now they're looking as best they can, like regular guys and looking very humble, but they recently made a great advance and it's a baby step in the land of vaccine development, but it's a huge, huge step. So tell us, tell us what happened with your eureka moment. Well, well let me let me put a little bit this in a little bit in perspective, right? Um, mm-hmm. What uh, we have uh, now, and we are trying to publish, and we just patented is a new virus where we we delete one specific gene of that virus, and the virus became attenuated, means that doesn't produce disease in pigs, 
and when we use that virus to vaccinate animals, animals get protected against the infection with the wild type virus. But when I say put in perspective, this is not the first vaccine candidate that we produce here in Plum Island. This will be actually the fourth, right? Wow. Um, the other three that also have been published and have uh-huh. been patented, and uh, they were uh, obtained by deleting different genes that the one that we are publishing right now. The difference with this is that under this condition, the experimental conditions where we test our candidate, this one is probably the best one that we produce so far. Okay, and you say it's the best one. Why is it better than the other three? What causes you to say that? Well, again, under experimental conditions, our, uh-huh. our new vaccine, which we call uh, I177L, which is the gene that's deleted from the full-length genome of African swine fever, is able to protect, protect pigs at a very low dose, which is 10 to the 2. There's no residual virulence at doses as high as 10 to the 6. It offers apparent sterile immunity. And it doesn't appear to shed from vaccinated animals co-housed with non-vaccinated animals. The co-housed animals don't test positive for the vaccine. So it doesn't, wow. the vaccine itself doesn't seem to spread from animal to animal. Okay. An important factor for, for vaccination. Right. They don't give the disease away if they're vaccinated with... Uh, and you, you said you guys call it, you named it I-11. We name our vaccines based upon the gene that we delete it. Delete okay. From the- so the gene that we deleted was I-177L. Okay. You didn't name Walter. No, no. not not yet. <laughs> yeah. I like I-177L. That's a mouthful. Sounds I very did. smart. I was thinking, how do you yell out, yell that out the back porch? <laughs> no, yeah, you, you can't. can't. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure one day, if it ever goes to commercialization, they'll come up with some cool name for it. But, right. but that's that's not yeah. us. So. It's, yeah. And it's not it's not going to be Walter. Okay. Just forget what? about no. All right. So then, so listen. That sounds like that was a lot of a lot of science stuff, and very cool, and very awesome that you guys did that because it sounds like we're well on our way to having having some protection. To I'm going to use this ASF. Can I say that? Is it okay? Is it soon? Can I say ASF? Totally legit. Okay, let's do it. All right. So you guys are trying to get a little bit closer, or it sounds like you're getting a lot closer, but I just don't want to, you know, ring your own bell there. But uh, to to vaccinating and helping protect the world from this disease. Is this correct? This is what we're saying here, right? Yeah. But um, we have to be really cautious in what yes. we're saying because yes. from what we have right now, that is uh, experimental proof, the proof of concept yes. at the experimental level that this yes. works fine. From there to really say that we have a vaccine that can be used out there in the real mm-hmm. world, there are a lot of further evaluations on different aspects of in terms of security, safety, and efficacy on the real conditions that we don't know right now if this vaccine is going to be. And that sounds truly, truly authoritative because you have a great accent. I mean, this guy sounds 10 times smarter than me just by saying the grocery list. I love it. But Manuel, you are a veterinarian also, right? You're a veterinarian. Dr. Gladue is a veterinarian. No, you're not a veterinarian. He's, the, he's the smart one. I'm the veterinarian. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, so so why is is African swine fever new? 
Like, what's the, like, all of a sudden, it seems like it's making it into the news. So is this a new pathogen? Is it brand new or what's happening? No, African swine fever has been around for for a really long time. But uh, other than... Like Jason? Like Jason, it's old? Like me. We all got it. That's funny. Probably longer. (laughs) A little bit longer than me, yeah? Yeah, The the thing is, is, uh, you know, the world's changed a lot over the course of history. And uh, African swine fever was in Africa. Uh, that's where the name came from for for many years, for for over fifty years uh, at least, and it for the most part was contained in Africa. But it's now in today's world with airplanes and people move in and and trade, movement of products and movement of people can spread things around the world. In two thousand seven, African swine fever entered the Republic of Georgia, mm-hmm. and that's where it kind of escaped Africa and. In the last, you know, twelve years or so, it's really spread all across uh, Asia and across uh, Western Europe. Um, the reason why it's a concern is in these very dense pig uh, populations, such as China, where they rely on pigs for their protein source. You know, we can joke around because when we go to the grocery store, we have pork. In China, when they yeah. go to the grocery <laughs> store, their pork prices have gone up very significantly, and there's also a very big pork shortage. Just to put it in perspective, you know, in the U.S., we have oil reserves. In right. China, they, they have pork reserves. So Whoa. they've been frozen wow. pork from their pork reserves to try to feed their people and to wow. keep pork prices down. So, uh, so so, in this day and age where we're, where veterinarians in particular have become engaged in talking about something called food security, right, which is not food defense. So food security is where is my next meal coming from? I'm secure in knowing where my next meal is coming from. This is a big deal in Asia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because people are going to lose their food security because that's what they're accustomed to eating. So is this a really contagious virus? Is it really easy for one pig to give it to another? And how is it transmitted? You know, is it pig to pig? Is it vector? Like what's happening? Okay. The disease uh, it can be it can be transmitted from one pig to another if they are in contact. That's that's okay. easy. Now it's not an airborne disease. I mean, it's not a disease that can be ah. transmitted through the air like a food and mouth disease, for example. Okay. And and there is uh, vectors. There is like a tick. Ticks are vectors, although it's not critical for the. Keeping the disease in a geographical area where we know, mm-hmm. for example, that ticks are not available and they have been forever. So we understand that. But probably the main reason why the disease is spread and it has spread so fast is because human factors. Okay. Ticks are probably not very uh, pure, poor management of uh, the outbreaks and things like that. And we believe that that is the main reason why the, the, the disease is spread so fast in such a large area, geographically. So does that mean that people are taking live pigs and transporting them? Or like, do we know what the thing is? Is it dead pig, live pig, meat, blood, my it, shoes? It's, it's a very tough thing to, to really say what we know. Yeah. Because you know, then you'd have to kill us. Is that like, is it like that? Is it <laughs> uh, and by all means, to do yourselves. Yeah, China's a different world than the U.S. Of course. A lot of the initial outbreaks were thought to be that it was coming from contaminated feed. Oh, Um, yeah. There's a lot of reports of illegal pig movement in China. Sure. Where, 
you got to think of a farmer that their sole source of income is their their pigs. And if their pigs are getting sick or Mm -hmm. the neighboring farms getting sick, you either report it and lose Mm -hmm. all of your income or you quickly sell your pigs and at least make something. So I think it's it's a different situation than it is in the U.S. Well, but I think it actually, I think, I think that's not necessarily true. I think we have significant regulations and a lot more eyes looking in the U.S., but, you know, it's like diseases uh, like foot and mouth disease, you know, could ha- face the same situation. Essentially the same choice. It's the it yeah. country. It's a t- and yeah, that's, man, I would hate to be in that position. That's a tough choice. But, but you know, what's interesting also is that there's another pig disease. It's one of my favorites. And it was the similar situation when it kind of escaped from where it initially showed up. And that was the Nipah virus. You know, it was initially limited to this little village. And then some guys smuggled, you know, a couple hundred pigs over to the village next door because they needed, those guys wanted pigs. They would need to get rid of their pigs. And then it showed up in that village. It was no longer contained. And then it went nuts. So we know that that's not unusual to happen with emerging pathogens. So uh, interesting. So how did you guys come up with this idea to, you know, make an attenuated vaccine instead of a killed or a recombinant or, you know, modified? Like, like how, how did, how'd you get here? Well, actually, people have been working in Africa for years, right? And the first thing that they tried uh, was inactivate the virus or inactivated by different ways and put it uh-huh. different parts of the virus and not, nothing really worked. And it was back in the late 90s that the people wrote, or the last century, people started realizing that the only way to really prevent the disease will be by using attenuated strain of virus. Attenuation of the virus could be done in different ways from just getting a natural attenuate isolate from the field and use it as a vaccine. That and when you say... That. Dr. Borka, just so for all the news hounds listening in the Candyverse, when you say attenuated, you mean that this is changed or weakened? Is it a specific yes. type of change? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. people, it was the case that uh, you can isolate the virus from the field that is not producing the disease in the same degree that the other uh-huh. isolate. So if it is enough attenuated, you may use that as a vaccine virus. This is a little bit dangerous because uh, you, since you don't know what are the genetic modifications, you don't mm-hmm. know why the virus is attenuated. So it's not probably the best way to go. But that gives us the idea that in general, and not to us, if not people working at uh-huh. that time, that uh, again, what needs to be used for preventing disease is uh, an attenuated strain of virus, right? That is okay. not new. I mean, there are many vaccines already in bad science and in humans oh, yeah. attenuate the virus, right? Yeah. So the point here is that back in also in the last 10 years of uh, 1990s, at Plum Island, we developed uh, the group of what I was working, developed as, uh, a technique to produce a specific gene deletion. So eliminate a specific gene from the genome of the virus. And if you are a little bit lucky, uh, you can hit the gene, the deleted right gene that produces attenuation. And at that time, there were several virus that were developed by deleting some of the genes. were not uh-huh. the same strain of virus that is producing the disease that Doug was commenting in Europe and Asia right now. There are different okay. strains. But we took some of that, those ideas and we start deleting similar genes in the Georgia isolate. The Georgia isolate is called Georgia, Georgia because it has been isolated in the Republic of Georgia. And this Georgia isolate, when we did some of the manipulation, well, we got some results of attenuation, 
not exactly the same level of attenuation that was described for other isolates back in 1990, but they were at uh, some degree. And then we start, based on that, we start adding new deletion of uh, another genes, and so that's where those um, strains, those three original strains that we developed uh, in the last five or six years. We start working with African swine fever here at Plum Island back in 2010. So, so when you're looking at it, because you guys told us that this is a DNA virus. Yes. And it's huge. It has like 150 genes. Is that what you said? So you're kind of playing bingo, right? Like you're trying to guess which one to delete. Well, maybe. Yeah, you can look at it that way. We we try to do things a little more sophisticated than just bingo. Leave it to Jen to do that, right? All this fantastic science and she can bingo. Give me a break. I know you guys are doing it very different, very much more sophisticated. I don't, I, I, I apologize for her. I, I'm sorry. So look, but if you have 150 genes, you like something had to steer you to the first three or four that you started with, right? And it did. We used uh, a bioinformatics pipeline to, to look at these genes and try to decide which ones would be our primary targets. Uh-huh. And, you know, looking at things like no one knows anything about it, most of these genes. So looking at uh, similarities with other viral proteins, similarities with host proteins, uh, uh, similarities of motifs and stuff like that in the proteins. And from that, we, we kind of ranked our candidates and we, uh, we did several attempts and we ended up where we ended up with a successful de new deletion. So it wasn't a wag, wild mm, guess. It was a swag, yeah. <laughs> scientific wild mm, guess. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Was it, was what quite educated, but let me tell you something. Um, <laughs> we we made several attempts with other genes that didn't work. Yeah. So this is not that we select two genes and we were lucky because we we're very well selected. There were other attempts, uh, many other attempts that yeah. failed. And, and so the work to produce this is probably you are we are producing maybe less than ten percent of the attempts give you an attenuated strain, some degree of yeah. attenuation. Yeah, so it looks like an overnight success, but it was many years and lots of hours of getting to the one that you you eliminated and that you named I-177 <laughs> or L-177I, right? Lots yeah, of work. I-177L, but uh, we didn't need I-177L. Write it down for Pete's sake, all right? Write Walter. I'm going to call it Walter. All right. Okay. Yeah. So to get to Walter, it was a lot, a lot of work. But I think that's what happens with a lot of scientific um, discovery, right? It looks overnight success, but it's not. It's not. And also partially, also partially, you work on the previous work done by other people. That is. Oh, yes. That is, yeah. Absolutely. Way. That's the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You got to build on the foundation um, from uh, previous publications. So we're going to take a very quick break, folks. And on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit more about that mystical place called Plum Island. So stick with us. We'll see you on the other side. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. When we put him on the Dynavite, he took right to it. All of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Something that he actually likes to eat. You need to put him on Dynavite. Dynavite for life. If you love your dog, you don't just want him healthy, you want him to be happy. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Oh. 
Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Two of, uh, I got to say, two rock stars here, and we're talking about their work with African swine fever. So now we've learned that they might be good at naming um, new uh, vaccines, but not so good at naming dogs. And uh, I want to know about Plum Island. So what's it like to go to work every day? Because look at like, like Dr. Jason goes to work. He puts his khaki vest on, you know, he's got his embroidered shirt. He's got his uniform, you know, that sort of thing. But that's not Plum Island. That's Jungle Island. So where are you? How is it on Plum Island? So as as the name suggests, Plum Island is an island. So (laughs) every employee employee, uh, that works at Plum Island has to take a boat to and from work so every day we we ride a boat some days are more rough than others uh, <laughs> well, we are getting down and dirty now wow that's right <laughs> so so is that like part of the job interview if you can't handle taking a boat ride you get seasick you're out <laughs> it is we've had people before say oh man i get seasick and, and that's it and they're out from <laughs> oh my god uh, wow the other part that's a little different for the scientific staff at Plum Island is that we are a BSL three facility. So to go to is work, bi- we uh, biosafety, biosafety lab. Yeah, bio- it's a bio- biosafety level three. Uh, oh, okay. So, and what that means is that when we go to go into the lab, we have to take off all our clothes. Um, we go go through a passageway and put on scrubs. We work all day, and then on the way out, we take our scrubs off and uh, we shower. And we end up back in our our street clothes. So there is uh, a different process just to go to the office, right? But that's that's you got the, the first couple of weeks is probably pretty cool. But then it starts to be, what well, I got to do this every single day? You take this boat and undress. Oh, it's crazy. But that's really cool. That uh, that's an interesting interesting thing to do to go to work and be super <laughs> safe. That was great. So newshounds, you guys can't see us, but the two um, the two scientists just looked at each other and went, yeah, okay, and shrugged their shoulders. Yeah, no but. Yeah, we're superheroes. We got big, broad shoulders. We can do it. Jason yeah. couldn't do it, but no, we can do it. No, that, no doubt. It's yeah. Terrible. Of course, I wouldn't yeah. get past the boat ride. That's excellent. So on Plum Island, like, like how many folks, like am I picturing a cruise ship size taking people to work every day or like a, a little speedboat or a John boat? Like how many people are going to the island every day for work? I don't know our exact numbers, but to give you an idea, our boat uh, can fit a tractor trailer truck on it. It is... A ferry. It's not a not a little rowboat that we take to work. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So BSL three. Can you name us like some other pathogens that are BSL three so that we, you know, we can maybe we can get a little perspective on that? Foot and mouth disease is uh another disease that we work on at Plum Island and uh uh-huh. swine fever is another disease that we work on Plum Island. So uh both of yeah. those are all BSL three and, and things that occur where we work. Again, so, dangerous stuff. Yeah. So classic. So you said classic swine fever or classical swine fever. So is that different? That's different. I'm assuming from African swine fever. So why, like, what's the difference? We actually working. Uh, we start working in our group. Or our group start working in classic swine fever. In oh. That was the way that our group was put together. 
And we start working with African swine fever when the problem start being serious back in 2010. So classical swine fever is produced, they look alike clinical. Uh, classical swine fever also a disease that produce symptoms that are very, very close to those produced by African swine fever. And also uh-huh. classical swine fever, like African swine fever, depending on the viral strain that you are working with, can produce a huge different degree of different uh, clinical signs. It's, sure. They are actually, they are indistinguishable. If you see an animal with uh, with symptoms like African swine fever, uh, you don't know if it's classical or African swine fever. The virus uh, that produces classical swine fever is completely different. It's a small RNA virus, single strain, very small. We're talking about 14,000 bases against 180,000 in, in, in African swine fever. One is DNA, it's African swine fever, the other is RNA. Yeah. So, Structurally, so I said, virus hearing, are completely different. What we're hearing is that the land and viruses size does matter, right? Yeah. Uh, and for classification purposes, but. Yes, yes. So that's interesting. You know, foot and mouth is like that, right? Because clinically, as a veterinarian, I can't stand there in a, in a pasture and differentiate other vesicular diseases from foot and mouth disease, right? And so these swine fevers, these two are, are like the same way because Clinically, if I have a pig that I think has a, a swine fever, so they, like, what are they, lethargic? Obviously, they, they probably run a fever. Skin, skin, red skin, and, yeah. you know, can have some ugly symptoms also together, you know. But they, are, they look alike. You can they look alike. Them yeah. yeah. And so, so, is there a high mortality rate? Do a lot of pigs that become affected with African swine fever, do they die? They succumb to it yeah. or they just get really sick? Both CSF and ASF, as I say, has a, depending on the strain of virus that affect, could go from subclinical disease to 100% of lethality. Wow. And how long is the course of disease in general? Like, am I looking uh, at? With very aggressive virus, you infect animals, and animals could die probably around day nine, eight, nine, ten. And are they shedding the virus that full time, those full nine days? Since 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 they get they since they present the first sign of the disease that usually is they get lethargic and they start with the, the rise of body temperature. Yes, that since then they shed the virus. They shed the virus. Wow. Okay, so I was peppering him, Dr. Jason. Did you have you? I think you had a question or yeah, comment. Those, those were all my questions. I I didn't know if we talked about exactly what happens to this with this disease. Does it kill them? Are they dead? They just get really sick. And so you answered all of those questions. And so it's 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 a little perplexing to me. You have all these high concentration of, of pigs over there, 700 million. It's an unbelievable number. And this disease is super aggressive in nine days with a high mortality rate. And you guys have been working on this has been around like a big deal for at least at least nine years now, you say, right? Nine, nine going on a decade. We should feel pretty lucky to be able to go get pork at all. It sounds like this is a pretty scary stuff. So yeah, my question is, how, how is it not... <laughs> How is it not taking out all the pigs over there? Right. <laughs> how, how are they containing that? Right. Well, that that's kind of a, a tough question, but it's for a lot of things is when a farm is uh, positive, they basically kill off all the pigs in the farm. Right. Depopulate. Depopulate. Right. right? Yeah. The fancy word, they depopulate. Yeah. But that's not unusual when you have um, a select agent that's impacting commercial production, right? We saw that with the high path avian influenza outbreak years ago. You know, you want to go in and depopulate. Yeah, prevent the spread. I know I totally understand. So it was more it was more of a statement of 
you know, just unbelievable that they have these, this, this really bad situation uh, with this aggressive. I didn't realize the disease was so aggressive, is, I guess, my, my point. Well, uh, that, you know, that description that I did is, is a, at the experimental level, right? Yeah. When you do the same thing, and when you see the same virus in the field, it's probably not as aggressive. Probably sure. don't 100%. In our cases, when we do the experiment, we get 100% of lethality with the parental virus, with the feel isolate but if you mm -hmm. go to feel that's not the case probably yeah. you can be an 80 percent or something like that oh many many factors many factors it's still pretty high that's still pretty high no no but what happened is different it's difficult to to, to really get measured because once that the people see that the animals start getting sick okay. they start moving out animals from yeah. there so the you know the amount of animals that are in contact are less so it's difficult to really put a number there. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, but really get under. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take another short break. But on the other side, I'm going to bring up dum -dum -dum, feral hogs. And we're going to see, ask these guys what that might look like. So stay with us. We'll take a quick break, pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Say goodbye to boring continuing education and hello to vet candy retreats and make learning fun with adventure, fitness, and world-class education from the most engaging speakers in our industry. Reserve your spot today. Visit myvetcandy.com slash retreat and get ready to have some fun. Oh, sure. It's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone. <laughs> That's right. We're animals. Deal with it. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And now we're back. And so my question is this. And again, uh, I know we're dealing with a select agent and with experimental um, work on a vaccine, uh, development of a vaccine. But because I love pigs... They have feral hogs over there where this disease is kind of uh, breaking out in Georgia and other places. Do they have feral hogs there? Yeah, they do. And so our feral hogs, I would assume, are susceptible to this virus, yes? Yeah, they are. We we are probably not the best guy to answer all these questions <laughs> because we are, we are, yeah, well, we are kind of more molecular biologists than a person that would deal with the disease in the field. But yeah, mm -hmm. they, they, are, they, are, they are animals they are, and they're susceptible. Yeah. So, so again, because, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know because you work on an island, but we have a substantial feral hog population in the United States. And uh, I'm just wondering for all the practitioners and other professionals that are listening, I don't work in the Republic of Georgia. I don't work in China. Sometimes I do see pigs because I like pigs. But what can I do or what should I be doing to kind of um, protect from emerging pathogens like this, like not necessarily African swine fever, but now that I know about that one, like what is a regular practitioner going to do? What would you guys hope they do? First, I told you we should have a, a hypothetical case. You know, what do you mean with what you got to do? I mean, you, you face an animal that is dead and what you do? Well, I would say knowing what's going on and probably trying to contact somebody where you can get a clinical sample and find out what, what killed the pig. Okay, so what what and what that looks like here for uh, you know accredited veterinarians is if you see something weird, 
even if it's you don't think it's African swine fever, right? If you see vesicular formation in a ruminant, if you see a whole bunch of dead birds in the pond, something weird as a practitioner, you should contact your state official, your state veterinarian, your USDA area veterinarian, someone before you touch it, right? Before you make any decisions, because at some point, those diseases, like when it showed up in the Republic of Georgia, there was an initial case. Somebody saw an initial case, right? And so at some point for it to show up, we have to have a first one. And if you're the one that finds the first one, there's an opportunity there to stop the spread or at least start the containment of it. And that relies on the practitioner in the field being aware. So listening to super amazing podcasts like Vet Candy, where we talk about these diseases and getting good continuing education, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's what I think. So, so today we've educated Dr. Jason. You're kidding me a lot like normal. (laughs) I know. And uh, what you guys don't know is that Dr. Jason actually bottle raised a warthog a handful of years ago named Ray and Ray was an excellent pig. And so, you know, pigs are close to our heart here uh, in the candy verse. And we want to make sure that we do everything we can and make ourselves aware of all of these pathogens. So I got to say huge thank you to you guys for coming on to talk about this. I know it's experimental. I know that it still has a name that doesn't look like it could go on a label. (laughs) But this is the sort of work that veterinarians can do alongside biological scientists. And this is why we like to say, save the veterinarian, save the world. This is incredible stuff that's going on. And we're just happy to be able to talk with you guys about it. So incredible thanks, Dr. Uh, Manuel Borca and Dr. Doug Gladu for coming on today um, and talking with us about African spine fever. Yes, and just so you guys know, you should be very proud of this. Every time I see a feral hog now out, out and about here, I'm going to think of you guys and see your face right there. So that just should make you very happy right there. <laughs> that's a huge compliment, huge compliment. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) And and thanks for uh, having us on your show. Yeah, Yeah, we love it. All right. News hounds out in the candy verse. Hey, live well, keep your eyes peeled for emerging pathogens, and we'll see you on the next episode of Vet Candy's podcast in other news. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.